This podcast of the Model Health Show is presented to you by Sean Stevenson with Rare Gym Productions. For more information, visit the SeanStevensonModel.com. Welcome to the Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson here with my beautiful, glamorous co-host Jade Harrell. What's up, Jade? <laughs> Howdy doody, Sean. Howdy doody. You pulled out the howdy doody. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're looking good. Got the eye of the tiger around your neck. People don't, they don't know I about do. this stuff. I do. You'll have to post it in the show notes. Oh, <laughs> That's right. That's real you, Your deal. style is impeccable. Okay, you heard thanks. them even on a casual day. Hey, you now. break something out to <laughs> penetrate the minds of millions. That's exactly the goal. I just didn't know how to say it. That's it. The best ever. Mm-hmm. So check this out. I've really been meditating on a few things and a few ideas and one of the big ones is that you know in our world today we oftentimes get caught up in this idea that um, if I just do the right thing you know if I just do the right thing and there's these two conflicting ideas because when it comes to nutrition for example there's a big difference between doing a thing right and doing the right thing Mm. right so for example the American Dietetic Association They're very good at teaching people to do this thing right, which is to eat more, quote, healthy whole grains. Mm -hmm. But they're doing this, you know, and of course, whole grains are carbohydrates to a society that's sick Mm -hmm. and dealing with an epidemic of diabetes. Mm -hmm. We're teaching them to eat a diet that's based on carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And they're very good at doing that. You know, they're teaching this in in the right manner that is very inclusive and very convincing but they're not doing the right thing, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is we're dealing with a situation where individuals have this diabetic epidemic. Carbohydrates are a contributing factor here. How about we reel it back a little (laughs) bit on the sugar? Maybe they don't know. You know, that's the thing right there. Do they know? Obviously not. Now, here's the thing, Jade. Mm -hmm. Those things that, especially when you teach smart people, very smart people the wrong thing, they become very good at that. Mm. They become very good at teaching the wrong thing. That's right. You know, and very skillful. And those ideas can get deeply embedded into their subconscious, into their, and people become aggressive about these ideas, well, you know, sure. especially if We've they build their the career on it. Now. Exactly. You We've know, laid the foundation of uh, straw. Exactly. Yeah. Three little pigs jumped into my mind. <laughs> Blow their house down. Now, here's what the thing is today. Yeah. There's an even bigger issue when we come to our ideas about water. Uh-oh. Right? Are you going to the water? Yes, place? we are. Yes, we are. Take and us there. Understanding that, yeah, we might be doing something right as far as the water that we're consuming, but we also might be doing the right thing as far as what somebody else told us we're supposed to be doing. Okay. That didn't make any sense, <laughs> but saying. it will in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's a I lot guess. of big um, entities out there that are telling us that we need to be drinking our tap water, that mm-hmm. that's the ideal source. Oh, there are big, yes. bigger entities, um, major companies, you know, bottling companies, soda companies like Pepsi that are saying, you need to be drinking this bottled water. It's the safest, best thing for you to be drinking, mm-hmm. you know, and we become very good at doing that. You know, as a society, I know that I did. I was a big time bottled water advocate. Mm-hmm. And I will share a little bit about that today. But for me, uh, my whole journey started when I began to read a book called Water, The Foundation of Youth, Health and Beauty. Mm-hmm. And this is by uh, William D. Holloway and Herb Joyner Bay. And this book really changed my life. It changed my perspective about water. I just looked at it as a very 
just a, I was kind of jaded by it, like the rest of society. You know, we just see water all the time. We're driving past it. You see big fountains, and mm-hmm. you know, we're more likely to to pee in it than we mm-hmm. are to drink the water. I you know, this book really changed my perspective. And not until I met the work of our special guest today did my whole idea about water just completely explode exponentially and just really understanding the power and the importance of the water that we're drinking. Mm -hmm. And I'm so honored and excited to bring this guest on today. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. But really quickly, let's give a shout out to the show sponsor. Shouts out, show sponsor. PerfectSupplements.com. We can't tell you how much we love you. We love you. PerfectSupplements.com, the industry leader for whole food supplementation and today have my Superman tea mm-hmm. or my Superman mocha smoke latte, whatever you want to call it. Mocha <laughs> We started with the yerba mate was my base. Then I add in the perfect coconut oil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're getting those medium chain triglycerides, instant cell food. MCT, baby. Right, feeding those mitochondria. And I put in some cordyceps today, some oh, cordyceps mushroom. Good perfect today. Perfect cordyceps. Now, check this out really quickly, Jade. I saw a new study today. It was published in uh, this year in March in the issue of the Scientific Journal showing that there are extremely potent anti-inflammatory properties in cordyceps mushroom. Is that right? That's right. You know people are inflamed. Yes. They're on fire. That's why, you know, I kept saying, look, I feel my arms again. Uh It feels like real flesh and not pillows. I can feel it. I can feel it. (laughs) (laughs) Also, another study showed that it can boost energy by causing a change in the biological action that allows for an increased cellular oxygen absorption up to 40%. So right? true. I so experienced that. Boom. Boom goes, the dynamite. goes the dynamite. And, you know, just on and on. It's just great stuff. So that's, that's what stuff. I had today. And for you being a fan of the show, you can head over to perfectsupplements.com, use the coupon code MODEL101. It's M-O-D-E-L 101. And you get 10% off your entire purchase. That means you get a mocha mocha shake too. You get in, baby. You're in there. <laughs> I know so. people. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, Perfect Supplements. Yeah, it's been good to us. Thank you. Now let's get into the topic of the day and our special guest. All right. Our guest today is Daniel Vitalis, who is a leading health, nutrition, and personal development strategist, encouraging us to rewild ourselves. He teaches that invincible health is produced by a life aligned with our biological design. That is so true. His entertaining, motivational, and magnetic delivery has made him an in-demand public speaker in North America and abroad. Oh, yeah. He is the creator of findaspring.com, a resource (laughs) helping people to find fresh, clean, wild water wherever they live, and the founder of surthrival.com. Oh, wow. A brand pioneering a lifestyle of health and adventure. Daniel was actually recently featured in the widely acclaimed film Hungry for Change, which I checked that out. It was a good one. Yeah, yeah. And he can be found at DanielVitalis.com. What a great name for water, Vitalis. Exactly. Yeah, so, how appropriate. Welcome to the show, Daniel. How you doing today, man? Wow, I could just sit here and listen to you guys. Do I have to talk? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you guys are fantastic. Wow. Hey, I thank you, man. I appreciate that. But, yeah. whoa, man, we've got so much cool stuff to get into today. And um, I'm really interested for uh, people to hear and understand and get to know you because uh, today you're going to be reaching a whole new audience of people that might not know you, but they will. And you're definitely going to become a part of their mental blueprint because I know you have some of those paradigm shifting ideas to share. So, 
Yeah, um, thank you. The first thing, man, so I'm curious myself, how in the world did you get interested in health and fitness in the first place? Yeah, wow. You know, I came through uh, into this work in a really alternative way. So, you know, my path was really based on my own desire to feel really good and feel really healthy. I mean, I didn't set out to become a public speaker in this arena, and I, I didn't set out to um, have a career in this field. In fact, I was just doing this stuff for myself. And I think that um, people like myself, we really are the new sort of health gurus, right? People who don't necessarily haven't come through the traditional route. And as you guys were mentioning, a lot of the agencies now that train up our nutritionists, you know, they train them uh, in a really effective way, but they give them the wrong information. And so we have a lot of people out there teaching, but they're teaching the wrong information. So, I, you know, I came about this through self-experiment. And uh, about five or six years ago, you know, I got a video out on YouTube, and to my surprise, it just took off. And before I knew it, I was sort of in demand to speak on these subjects, things that I had spent 15 years exploring on my own, but never really intended to teach. Here I find myself today sort of almost by surprise uh, having the opportunity to speak to people all over the world about water, about food, about lifestyle, about fitness. Um, it's just been a beautiful twist of fate, but again, I kind of need to emphasize it. It came from me being dedicated with integrity to my own path, not me setting out to create a business where I was going to go out and, you know, sort of figure out what I wanted to teach. It really came, um, it was like a backdoor entry for me. Yeah. Wow. And I really hope people take a moment to really pick that up, you know, that, yeah, coming from that paradigm where it's like I'm focusing on me first. Mm -hmm. How can I become the best version of me? And the other stuff follows. It does. You know, a lot of times people get into this because it's a business, right. you know, and they're looking at the opportunity to make money. But in our world today, transparency is the name of the game. Well, this is more sustainable because yeah. it's true. Yeah, exactly. And I really agree, you know, and I think I love this idea of pro-noia, which is like the opposite of paranoia. So paranoia is like everyone's out to get me. Pronoia is like the universe is conspiring for my benefit all the time. And so if I just focus on really on fixing me, the universe sort of lines everything up for me to effectively get out there and change the world too. So, you know, my focus, like you said, it was on myself, not selfishly, but because I really wanted to be the best me I could. And now I, I get the opportunity to share the path that I've forged with a lot of people, and that's really beautiful. Well, the universe welcomes that, see? Yeah. It makes it warm and comfortable to deal with us humans in the universe (laughs) by being properly aligned and doing so. So I think it's actually more receptive to us that way. Yeah, Yeah, I agree, Jay. (laughs) Now, speaking of transparency, when I said that earlier, water, water. (laughs) I think if if that video is the one that you're talking about, I think it was the first one that I might have seen of you, and there were some really interesting ideas about water that you brought forth that I had never thought about before. You know, the book that I'd read, the, the different research I'd done, I got into an idea where, okay, water is this just incredibly important substance, yet I was still buying this Penta water that <laughs> this book was promoting, you know, the reverse osmosis infused with oxygen and all kinds of stuff. But You brought this idea that I never considered, you know, because I was eating a lot of raw food, but then I was drinking cooked water. So Hmm. let's let's really get into this today, man. What got you interested in water in the first place? Well, you know, I was really interested in food in the first place. And eventually what I came to understand, again, through my just exploring my own health, 
it became clear to me that food is only one part of nutrition, right? So I really think we need a four-pronged approach to nutrition. So the obvious first starting point is, hey, what food do I put in my mouth? But then it's like when you really look big picture, what does the human body need to run? Well, it needs food. It needs air. It needs sunlight. And it needs water. So it's actually four things. Conveniently, it's the four elements. We need earth, that's food, water, air, and fire, that's sunlight. So I kind of got thinking about fish tanks and how they work, you know, how an aquarium works. Because an aquarium is a lot like your body. So if we're going to set up a healthy aquarium, we need to put the food in there for the fish to eat. You know, we need to put the air in there. That's what that little air bubbler does. That's like the lung for the fish tank. We need that full-spectrum light. That's kind of replicating what the sun does. But what's the most important component to the fish tank? It's obviously the water. It's obviously that. And if we think about our bodies, it's really similar. We are primarily water. So you can, you can almost imagine if you had that fish tank, that aquarium, if you had really, really good water, you could get away with putting low-quality food into that fish tank. You could get away with it. It's not the best thing, but you get away with it. Now, you could get really crappy water in the fish tank, and you could buy the best fish food available. Mm, what difference does it make? How healthy can the fish be if the water is unhealthy? So it kind of led me to that question, well, how healthy can I be? How healthy can my cells be, even if I eat the best superfoods on the planet, if I'm eating the best food available, if the water that I'm putting in my body is devitalized? If the water I'm putting in my body is not the water that my body's been adapted to for 200,000 years of human evolution, how healthy can I be? And that led me to the question, well, what's the healthiest water? And wow, I remember when I first asked that. It was daunting. It sounds like you had the same moment. Like, yeah. is it the distilled water? Some people are saying that. Is it the RO water? I'm hearing that over here. Is it the bottled water? Is it the tap water? You know, oh my God, what water do I drink? And eventually... What I was led to was the really obvious thing that the water that we should drink is the water that we're most adapted to. That's healthy, living, natural, vital water from ecosystems. And that eventually led me to spring water. Oh. Wow. You know, I guess that actually opens up so many things here because, as you know, that's very, very counterculture, you know, to talk about drinking spring water. And even when we hear that, we're thinking about, okay, well, Fiji spring water. So what, what's the difference here? Um, when we're talking about water, <laughs> as Jade has her emergency plastic bottle, I'm calling you out right now. No, you didn't. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. I so, was trying to give you another brand name, and you put me out there. <laughs> Let's talk about the I different types you. of water that people, that people are drinking right now, Daniel. As a matter of fact, before we get into the beauty of spring water, let's talk about the municipal water. You know, this is where you change my paradigm because I, hadn't, I just didn't realize this stuff. What's going on with our spring water? Well, you know, the thing about water, right, is in, we, we, we got to open our minds a little bit here. We have a really narrow, myopic vision of water as a culture. Obviously, some of us have gotten a little more awake to this, but culturally, we're, we're, we have a pretty myopic vision of water. Water, so, it appears so inert. It appears so simple, so clear, so sort of smellless, so tasteless. We almost forget how truly unique, special, and, and really weird water is. I mean, you think about water for a minute, it's really the only inorganic liquid on the planet. I mean, everything on Earth wants to be a gas or a solid at the pressure, at the temperature of the Earth, right? So we don't walk around seeing a lot of liquid metals. We don't walk around seeing a lot of, you know, we don't see a lot of liquids, really. We see things that are based on water. But in the natural world, everything's either a gas or a solid. The only real liquid that's here, the 
really the only liquid that's here in any quantity is water. I mean, it's true, but we, we're just so used to it. We, we, we don't think about it much. And one of the things we haven't realized is that there's a difference between whole natural water and processed water. So we're, we've gotten really good at talking about food this way. You know, over the last couple decades, the idea of processed food, everybody gets that now. You know, I remember the early days of my nutritional path where processed food wasn't real. That was sort of a new way of thinking. Like, people didn't really realize that processed food wasn't as good as whole food early on. And now, I rem- now, you know, now it's obvious. People know processed food isn't as good for them as whole food. You know, hence the name of the, the mega superstore, Whole Foods, right? They get that. People get that. With water, people don't really realize there's a difference between natural water and processed water. And so the thing is, is that the municipal water, the bottled waters, all these, these filtered waters, they're all highly processed. And people might think, well, does that matter? Isn't it just the same? And what we figure out about water eventually is, no, it's not the same. And when we look at municipal water, the thing that people really need to know is that that water's been treated with a lot of different things. And it's not just chlorine, and it's not just fluoride but it's other chemicals as well. So if we were to visit a municipality, we would see that they're also adding acids and alkalis to the water. They need to treat the pH of the water to maintain the pipe infrastructure. So we'll find out that, okay, they're adding the chlorine. That's an antibiotic. Uh, They're adding fluoride. That's a neurotoxin that affects your body in some negative ways. But they're also adding phosphoric acid. That's like the stuff that's in Coca-Cola that makes Coca-Cola dissolve teeth and pennies. That's added to the water supply. And then they're adding uh, sodium hydroxide, which is also called lye, mm-hmm. which is, uh, a, that's the stuff that Drano is made of. That's the stuff that we use Crazy. to clean out drain pipes. So all that stuff is added to the water. So when we turn on the tap, we're getting all that stuff. And depending on where we live, we might be getting um, drugs, uh, lots of pharmaceutical drugs. We might be getting birth control. We might be getting tampons. We might be getting toilet paper because the real big wake-up call here is in the big cities, a lot of times the tap water is recycled toilet water. Hmm. That that there. <laughs> you should see Jade's face. I, I... <laughs> Now, it's just what, what he's saying is essentially this is a big click that needs to take place in our minds and just to start to see what's coming through our faucets and asking the question, you know, where is our water actually coming from? I know because we're jaded by it, we oftentimes don't even ask that question, you know, and start to point in in the direction that this is, especially if you live in a major city in our country, Mm -hmm. you're likely going to be getting some of these these compounds going through Mm -hmm. your faucet, Mm -hmm. you know, so you mentioned the chlorine, you mentioned fluoride. You mentioned the the acids and the alkalis, mm-hmm. and um, and also the medications that people are consuming. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that. How is that stuff ending up in our water if people are taking drugs, and how is that actually coming back in our in our faucet? Yeah, you know, it's funny because a lot of us have seen these reports that you know in some cities, like San Francisco, is an example of a city where where they can find over fifty different pharmaceuticals and trace amounts in the water supply to include powerful endocrine system um, drugs like uh, birth control. And so people often fail to ask the next question of like, well, how does that get in there? Well, it's because people take these drugs and then they pee in their toilets or they dump these drugs down the toilets and they flush those toilets and that water basically gets recycled, cleaned up a bit and put back into the municipal water supply. And, you know, I want to point something out here as well, because I think this is important too. Urine Right? Urine is essentially blood plasma. 
So, you know, your blood is made of a few different things. If we're going to really simplify blood, this is an extreme, you know, cartoonish simplification, but it's essentially the plasma, that's like the water. It's the red blood cells, the white blood cells, and the platelets. Now, when you pee, your kidneys are this great filter. And what they do is they let the blood plasma out, uh, but they hold back the blood cells, which is why our pee doesn't come out red, right? If the red blood cells got through, our pee would be red. But that's all held back, and what comes out is our blood plasma. So people are dumping their blood plasma through their urine into the toilet, and then that blood plasma is being filtered and cleaned up, and that stuff's coming back through into some municipal water supplies. Now, that's not every city. Some cities get their water from reservoirs or from wells, but some cities are recycling urine back. And a lot of times what's happening is that stuff is getting dumped into a river, and then the river is where the water supply for the next town comes from. So maybe one town, you know, all of their toilet water gets basically cleaned up, flushed into a river, one town down, that's where they're getting their water supply, then they flush it, it goes down the river, the next town grabs that. So people are ending up consuming a lot of other people's body waste and all the drugs and other water-soluble compounds that they eliminate via their waste. Um, And this is also why trace amounts of toilet, actually sometimes it's more than trace amounts of toilet paper and tampon material, ends up in the water supply. Um, I think that the people who are promoting this idea of drinking tap water have really good intentions. It's like how right. you started this call off and talking about their thinking is right. Like, we've got to get people off of this energy-intensive, resource-intensive bottled water supply. This isn't good for us as a culture. And I understand that thinking. And my suggestion of drinking spring water, which we'll get into more, I don't think it's the answer for 7 billion people right now. You know, I'm not here with a, you know, a concept where I'm saying, hey, you know, this is what the world needs to do. I'm saying, hey, the really discerning connoisseur of health, the person who really wants to thrive in this crazy post-industrial world, this is a solution for that person, for the people who are listening. So I'm not saying, hey, 7 billion people have to, it's a tough thing. How do you get enough water into 7 billion people? That's not for me to decide. Um, but I have a strategy that works really good for discerning uh, individuals. Wow. Well, that's a really good point about how is how does everybody get the the water? Because ultimately, there really is uh, one basic water supply. And I keep telling the children as they learn about the water cycle and such that water doesn't go anywhere, and neither does plastic. It doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't. It, you, we don't get well, no well, Jane, water. Actually, water plastic does go into the water. <laughs> right, right, and I mean that meaning that it doesn't go away. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and ultimately we're not going to get new water. There is yeah. an ultimate, um, I guess, water supply, and that is the the overall yeah. natural water cycle. So yeah. we're, you know, that's all we got. We need to respect the cycle. Mm-hmm. So I've got a really interesting perspective on this. One day I was doing a talk actually in East St. Louis, which is supposedly notoriously um, a bad place to be, but there were a lot of people there that were excited and and passionate about health, and I was speaking to this group of people. And my aunt happened to be there, which I didn't know she was going to end up coming. And and she actually worked for the, um, the, quote, water company, you know, the city water company. And also they were in partnership with the some drug company, funny enough, right? So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So she actually got to see the water that was coming through, you know, from the waste, you know, from people's toilets, from their faucets and She got to see the cleansing process and just all the gunk that was pulled out of that water before it got treated and then sent back back around into the city, right? 
And she started telling me about some of the stuff she would see that people flush down the toilet, and it's just crazy. But And she worked there, but she never clicked in her mind that that water was the same water coming back t- through her faucet. <laughs> she never realized that, you know? So it's it's some scary stuff, man. But it's also, again, I really appreciate that. You said exactly what, and this is what I wanted this show to be about, was this is for the discerning health enthusiast. This is for the person who wants to be the greatest version of themselves. This is not for everybody, you know, but this is something that everybody can be conscientious about. You know, you know I agree. There's this, there's this quote that's been attributed to Charles Darwin, and then there's some dispute whether he ever said it or not. It doesn't really matter to me. I love the quote. So it's the idea here. Uh, he said that it's not the strongest or the smartest who survive. It's those who are quickest to adapt. So here we are in this new world, right? The world in the last, let's say the last two, three hundred years has dramatically been altered. Uh, our environment, which used to be, I mean, you picture the United States at the time when the colonists first arrived here. So, or just before, let's say 1491, you, there wasn't anything unhealthy available on this continent. <laughs> there was no pollution here. This was a pristine Eden-like environment. That's where we, that's what we evolved in. That's what we are adapted to. Now we live in this crazy post-industrial, post-nuclear age. The world is incredibly polluted. But human beings are acting like everything's just sort of the same as it used to be. And some of us are getting hit to this and we're realizing we need to adapt really quickly with strategies to um, overcome this pollution issue because the pollution outside of us migrates into us. It's called bioaccumulation, and we accumulate toxic waste in our body, and that shortens our lifespan. It doesn't just shorten our lifespan. It, it, it affects our quality of life, right? So when we're talking about health here, we're looking for a couple things. We're looking for quality of life, and we're looking for quantity of life. And if we can get both, awesome. But the thing is, is that this really polluted world makes it difficult for us to get that. We need strategies for staying clean. You need strategies for keeping that 70% of your body that's water clean. Because it's up to us if we're going to let that be clean water inside of us, we're going to let that be toxic, dirty water inside of us. That's our blood, right? So the water we drink is our blood. And I think this is another place people don't really, really get this. And what they picture... When you eat food, you put food into the the front end of a tube. The tube runs down through your body, and it exits at your anus. That's the other end of the tube. So you put food in, and it sort of goes through a tube, and it comes out the other side. I think people picture that with water. So they picture like you drink water, and it runs down to the tube that comes out your urethra, and you pee it out. But that's not what happens with water. Water goes into your stomach, and it starts being absorbed there and it actually goes immediately into your bloodstream. So the water you drink really quickly is becoming your blood. It is your blood. So we've got to really think about this, like, hey, that's the water in the fish tank. What do I want my blood to be? Do I want my blood to be made out of other people's urine and the drugs they were taking and all the stuff they got flushed down? And do I want my blood to be contaminated with chlorine and fluoride and you know, lye and phosphoric acid, or do I want my body to be made out of the cleanest water available on earth? For me, as the discerning health enthusiast, I choose the cleanest water on earth, and I think that um, I think that's a really good choice, and it's an adaption strategy, ad- adaptation strategy for living in this world. Definitely. I don't uh, want to be a zombie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just, when you're describing that, I, I picture that all this 
goo. <laughs> There's a lot of zombie movies and shows out now I'm for so a reason. I'm so not wanting to be a zombie. Now, <laughs> now <laughs> this, brings up, this brings up some important points here, you know. Uh, with the chlorine being put into the water, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that they use chlorine because of all the pathogens and all that kind of stuff for that type of water. If you're at that level, you know, for the municipal water supply, it's, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we're talking about an antibiotic. So this can literally start to cause an issue for our inner environment, you know, for the delicate um, ecology that's in our gut, you know. So I think that that's a great thing. Now, here's the issue. A lot of people think, okay, well, I'll just get a filter. So that water's treated now, get a filter and, you know, filter out the, the chlorine and the other bad stuff. So, Daniel, talk about that. Let, what, what's up with the water filters? What can they do? Yeah, all right. And, and let me just back up a second and say I want to agree with you. I think um, if I was, you know, I'm really blessed to be living on a well source. So the water that comes out of my tap comes from the well, you know, 20 feet from my house. And I'm really blessed not to have chlorine in my water. Now, if I lived in an urban environment and I had uh, water coming from a municipality, I'd want that chlorine, too. Um, that'd be the water that I'd be washing my hands with, cleaning my dishes with, washing my clothes in. I wouldn't want that to be contaminated with fecal coliform, for instance, right? We don't want to have cholera outbreaks in the city. So we, we're blessed in a way to have that. However... You know, it's also important to understand a bit of why we have that, and I think people should know this. The, the United States water infrastructure, I often will say to people, you know, close your eyes and imagine your city was transparent, and the only thing that wasn't transparent was the water pipes. How, much, how many miles of water piping are in your city? How many miles does the water travel before it gets to your tap? How long is the piping infrastructure? How much is there? And here's the big one. When was it built? For the majority of the United States, the water piping infrastructure is very, very old. They say it's from the Lincoln administration. That's when most of it was put down. This stuff is old, and it's breaking down. Now, imagine if the United States was going to change out its water infrastructure. It's just not going to happen. That's a, that's a ridiculous idea. The costs of that, the, the time, it's just not going to happen. So what we have here is these old, old, old water and sewage pipes. And you can imagine underground, a lot of places, these things are rusted out, they're broken down, they have holes in them, they have um, seams that have given way, not just in the water pipes, but also the sewage pipes. So what happens is these things cross-contaminate. So sewage can get into the water and mingle with it. And that means that the fecal bacteria can mingle with that water. And that's one of the reasons you need chlorine delivered to the tap. That prevents us from ending up consuming that. And it's one of the reasons when people talk about going to the developing world, they drink the water and they get sick. Right? So we're lucky to have the water be sterilized like that. The thing is, is if you go pick up like a, a carbon block filter, one that you'd screw onto your tap or one of those kind that you sort of pour the water into and it, it filters down through and you keep that in your fridge, <clears throat> and you read the side of that box, you know, it'll say removes the smell of chlorine or removes the taste of chlorine, but it doesn't remove all the chlorine. And the other thing is, is that those filters are just not powerful enough to remove drugs, to remove fluoride, to remove birth control. Those things pass effortlessly right through the filter. So all you're doing is you're cleaning up the taste and smell. Now, that's better than nothing. And I think 
should a person use a Brita filter or a pure filter at their home if they live in the city? Yeah, I think that's great. But let's not delude ourselves into thinking that's cleaning the water up. It's really only just sort of um, freshening the scent of the water, but it's not taking everything out. And I think to go a little bit further, people need to know that here's the conundrum with filters. The filters that can take all that stuff out, they clean the water so much that they create an industrial-grade water that's not really that healthy to drink. So if we want a real powerful filter, we've got to look at something like reverse osmosis or a distiller. And those things strip the water down so much that we create a processed water that is sort of the equivalent. A good analogy would be this. Imagine the difference between whole wheat and white flour. Imagine the difference between sugarcane juice and white sugar. Imagine the difference between whole coca leaves and cocaine. That's what happens when we put water through a distiller or RO. We take whole water, we put it through there, and we end up with pure H2O. Pure H2O has never been consumed by people in history. That doesn't exist in nature. Nature doesn't allow for this pure H2O. Pure H2O is made by strong filters that were developed for laboratory purposes and industrial purposes. Now, the World Health Organization, the WHO, tells us that reverse osmosis water and distilled water are not safe to drink. They, they, they strip our bodies of minerals, that they damage our blood vessels and can create inflammation there, that they can have negative effects on um, our cardiovascular system, uh, that they can cause deficiencies in children. Um, these are not safe waters. So the thing is, is that the, the, the filters that clean water of all of the contaminants also clean water of all its minerals. And we end up with a toxic solvent that damages our bodies over time. So filters, while they are of value for cleaning toxic water, don't create a healthy water on the other end. And that's important to understand. If somebody's going to use a distiller or a reverse osmosis um, filter, or if they're going to drink water that's come through an RO filter, they need to add minerals back to that water in some way. And you'll notice with waters like Dasani, which are tap water, that has been filtered through reverse osmosis. That's one of the big jokes of the, you know, those kind of waters. So right. Nestle and Coca-Cola, what they love to do is sell water that's just tap water. They filter it, but they add minerals back to it because even they know you can't just give people RO water. Right. It's not, it doesn't taste good. It's not hydrating. They add minerals back for that very reason to try to make it like spring water. So if somebody is going to use a strong filter, they've got to add minerals back because over time they're stripping their body of the minerals that um, they already have in their blood. So how would you suggest to add those minerals back to the water? All right, so here's what I'd suggest. If somebody's going to use reverse osmosis, so some people, they'll buy a unit that goes under their sink. Other folks might go to um, a store where there's a reverse osmosis machine and they fill their bottles there. Uh, so tap water comes into the store machine. It looks like a big vending machine, and uh, it goes through the reverse osmosis filter in the machine, and out comes the water they fill these big bottles with. What I'd recommend is they, they buy themselves an inexpensive TDS meter. That's TDS, and it stands for Total Dissolved Solids. And it's a meter that you stick in water, and it gives you a measurement of how, many, how much minerality is in that water. Uh, you can get one of these at my website, surfrival.com. They're inexpensive. They, you know, they start around $25. Um, what you do is you now if you had pure pure H2O this chemical grade solvent, remember that water in nature has minerals in it. That's the water we're adapted to. 
pure H2O doesn't exist in nature, but it's what comes out of a reverse osmosis filter. So if we were to stick a, a TDS meter into that water, we would have a very low amount of minerals. We might see a reading you know, somewhere around 5 or 10 parts per million of minerals. Very few minerals make it through that. We'd want to take a very high-grade sea salt, like a Celtic sea salt or a Himalayan sea salt, or some kind of very high-quality, natural, unprocessed sea salt. And we'd want to start adding that into the water and stirring that salt in until we achieved a reading on the TDS meter of somewhere around 100 or 200 parts per million. That would be adding minerals back in. That would be making the water a bit more like a natural spring water. It's never going to be as hydrating. It's never going to be as good as natural spring water, but it protects us against some of the negative effects of excessively filtered processed water because that is really a dead solvent. That's a laboratory-grade water. It's the equivalent of white bread, white sugar, pharmaceutical drugs. It's something that's been stripped down to its chemical components. I love that. I mean, that analogy is just fantastic, you know. Your your processed water is like doing cocaine, baby. So we got bottled <laughs> cocaine. You know, I spend a lot of time in Peru, and or I have over the years, and down there I chew coca leaves. I just, you know, it's like yerba mate you were talking about before, right? You've got this yerba mate tea that you're drinking and no doubt enjoying its mild stimulant effect. Right. But the thing about the yerba mate is it contains other substances that help balance that so that it doesn't damage your body. So there are caffeine compounds in there. There, there are, or they sometimes call them matine in mate. But you have B vitamins in there. Now, caffeine strips the body of B vitamins, but that's okay because the mate has B vitamins in the whole leaf. So it's balanced. But if we were to take those mate leaves and make an extraction of pure caffeine, that would be toxic to your body. Right. You don't want the pure caffeine. You want the whole plant. Right. Similarly, we don't want just H2O. Just H2O is a chemical solvent. We want H2O plus all the minerality that's found in nature. And in addition to that, it's nice if we can get the, the naturally occurring algae that would be in there too because that's where natural spring water contains algae, and that algae is important to our overall health. It also contains microbes like certain bacteria, which increase our serotonin levels. So when those have been stripped out, we end up with a dead water. And that dead water, again, how does it promote, how can it promote life? Right. Isn't it, it's just amazing how nature packages all this stuff up Mm -hmm. to set you up for success, Mm -hmm. you know. But then we come along here and we start, you know, having this very um, chemistry is best mindset, you know, and start extracting things. and. Mm selling them back to people. That just kind of you, you know, we, and we also have this other interesting thing is, in, you know, it's been a very, very short period of time in human history that we've really understood the existence of microbes, right? right? And, <clears throat> you know, when we were kids, we just had this idea of germs, right? I know, nobody told me when I was a kid that there were healthy bacteria. Nobody told me there right. were probiotics, because we really literally didn't even know that yet. Right? We, our ancestors understood that, you know, they fermented foods, they understood that to some degree, but no, they didn't really know, they, they didn't have the ability to see these microbes. Once human beings developed a microscope and they saw these microbes, they kind of just freaked out. People just freaked out. We're like, oh my God, the world is teeming with these little baddies and they make us sick. We've got to sterilize everything. And people got into a sterilization mindset. And we've, we got to a point where we went so overboard with that that now we've created whole disease syndromes that are the result of, of over-sterilizing things. 
And look what we've created in our hospital environment, right? This idea of sterility has led to the most dangerous microbes that have ever existed. For instance, MRSA, which is that that, uh, antibiotic-resistant staph infection that you pick up in hospitals, Mm. right? This stuff has come about because of the sterilization paradigm. We've also realized that consuming antibiotics, it doesn't just take out all the bad organisms in us. It takes out the good ones, too. It turns out that your immune system is based on good microbes, right? It turns out that your digestion is based on good microbes. Here's one of the problems with drinking chlorinated water is that chlorine isn't discriminating between good bacteria and bad bacteria. It just kind of kills everything. Well, it turns out that natural soil and natural water contain organisms that are healthy for us, right? So good, clean, natural water's got algae in it, it's got, it's got um, bacteria in it that are good for us. When we don't get good natural water and soil microbes as children, if we don't get to play in the dirt, we don't get to put natural water in our bodies, we actually as adults won't produce as much serotonin. In other words, as adults we'll have um, lower quality moods. We won't be, we'll, we'll, we'll tend towards depressed mind states. Uh-huh. Children who get good access to clean water and healthy soil, they end up getting that, those microbes in their body. They have higher serotonin levels, better moods as adults. So this is actually really crucial. Sometimes things that are really small can have really big effects overall, right? Absolutely. So it might seem like not a big deal, like, oh, it's just a little bit, you know, let's sterilize the water. It's not a big deal. Turns out it actually might be a much bigger deal than we realize. This brings up an important point in my mind, and j- just for everybody to just take a step back and look at some of the ritualistic practices that we're doing every day that might not be in alignment with what, how we were designed, you know? So understanding that our kids, the natural thing to do is to to play, to, to get dirty, to be in the dirt. And to we're setting, dirty. what I'm hearing Daniel say is we're setting up their internal ecology, their immune system, their hormonal balance with what they're getting in their bodies early on. Mm-hmm. And then we continue having that deficiency as we get older because we're not eating real food that actually has some close association to the ground it came from. We're not drinking real water, real high quality water from a natural source it has these very subtle but yet important compounds, mm-hmm. and we're seeing some pretty blatant results of that. You know, Absolutely. today one of the biggest multi-billion dollar industry is the antidepressant industry. It's not effective to try to just, <clears throat> you know, you can't take nature, disassemble it, and then try to reassemble it, and it just work okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. So, it, for instance, it's, it's difficult to take a whole food break it down into all its components, and then just give somebody the components thinking it's the same as the whole food. There's something's lost in that. So, you know, it, it might seem logical. I remember, you know, again, when I was first getting into nutrition, it was during a time the paradigm was just take vitamins and mineral supplements. And it was thought like, oh, well, you know, we know how much B vitamins you need. We know how much C you need. We know how much D you need and E and K. And if you just take all those, it's the same as getting the food. Well, it turns out it's not the same. So it's kind of like, here, let me give you an example. It would be like if we took a, a, a beautiful piece of liter- famous literature, if we take the book War and Peace, and we measure out how many of each letter is in that book, and then we cut out each letter in the book and we mix them all up and I just give you all the letters back. It doesn't come back as war and peace. 
<laughs> right? If we take Van Gogh's Starry Night and we figure out all the colors he used and how much of each color, and I just gather all that paint together and I throw it at you, it doesn't come back out Starry Night. Right. Something's lost. What's lost is the way the information is strung together. Nature, the way that organisms, you know, what food, another way to say food is to say organisms, right? Food is organisms. Food is living things. You know, everything we eat was, a, was alive, was a living creature. We eat the bodies of creatures. I mean, that is what food is, right? So we, it's sometimes not fun to think of it like that, but when we say whole food, we're talking about a living thing, right? And we can't just disassemble that living thing and then take all the parts and, and reassemble it and think we're going to get back what the living... The living thing was made of information that was born out of its genetic code, assembled over time. That's different than just the sum of its parts. So something's lost. And, you know, the World Health Organization hints to this in their report on water where they say, and, you know, if people want to see more of this, I have a blog on DanielVitalis.com about demineralized water, and uh, you can see links there that will take you to the World Health Organization's report on demineralized water. But they say that, you know, not only does demineralized water, in other words, RO water, distilled water, desalinated water, not only does it damage the body, it also damages piping infrastructure. And they talk about how, uh, because of that, it breaks down pipes, just like it breaks down your arteries and veins. Um, they say that it's important to add minerals back to the water, but they realize the same thing I was just describing, and they say that no remineral, remineralization strategy seems to effectively recreate natural water. Right. Even right. if we add back the, the right amount of calcium, the right amount of iron, the right, it doesn't come out the same thing. Yeah. We can't replicate what nature creates. Not yet, anyway. And so this is a this is real. That's why it's so important that we eat a whole food diet, not that we eat a, a, a devitalized diet and then add minerals back in. It just doesn't work like that. Wow. Whole food, whole water. That's how nature works. That's what we're adapted to. Man, I'm so glad you brought that up. And you know, I like to say that when you eat food, food isn't just food. Food is information. And the same thing goes for the water that we're drinking. So this would be a perfect spot to talk about what kind of information are we getting when we're drinking real, true spring water? You know, <laughs> that's, a, that's a difficult question for me to answer, but I'll say this. We're learning about water that there's many actually different kinds of water. Um, there, there are different kinds of water based on the different structuring of how its individual molecules are aligned together, the pattern. For instance, we know that there's at least 17 different types of ice. Ice is water. Um, that there's different information. What, the word information is really interesting because if we break it into its two parts, it's clearly made up of the, the words in and formation. In other words, information is the formation of a thing, like how it's formed or, or what formation it is in, right? So if you, you picture like a whole bunch of people standing in formation or you see a whole bunch of people standing sort of randomly, right? I can't say what information is contained in water, but I know that water is information and that when water is pressed through a filter, it comes out randomly, mm. right? When water is cooked, when water is um, devitalized, it's random, now, it looks like what water can do is water can almost store information like a crystal can, um, like the crystalline silica in your hard drive of your computer. No one would debate, you know, the, the New Agers would tell you, oh, this quartz crystal contains information, and we'd all scoff and say, oh, that's so airy-fairy. And then, but we don't have an issue with it with the silicon chips in our computers, right? They store information. We know that. 
Um, I don't know what information is stored in water, but I suspect that healthy water contains healthy biological information from ecosystems. And it's coherent information. It's information that teaches our bodies how to be more aligned with our ecosystems. And I think what we end up with is disorganized information. It's almost like the difference between a sonnet and white noise, right? You could imagine drinking high-quality water from nature is like hearing good classical music for your cells. And drinking devitalized, cooked, or sterilized water is almost like hearing white noise. It's damaging to our system. So, Daniel, why, why do you choose spring water as your ideal source of water? What, what is it about spring water that's so radically different from all this other stuff? I mean, I, we already know a lot about it, but what, let's get into that. Let's talk about why, why spring water is ideal. All right. Well, you know, one of the things I'll say is this. If, if we picture the hydrosphere, that's all the water on the planet. We can kind of break the water on the planet up into two parts. One part is on top of the rock of the earth. We call that surface water. The second portion is beneath the bedrock, right? This is the, the, the groundwater, the water that's underneath the rock. If we want to get to the water that's underneath the rock, we have to punch down into the aquifers. These are like underground pockets, of, almost like underground lakes in a way. Um, water that's stored deep beneath the bedrock. The way we get into that is with artesian wells, so they drill down into that. That same water, though, comes up to the surface of the earth by itself at springs. Now, the thing about artesian water, or water that's from these deep aquifers, is that usually the water's been underground for a really long time. And that's important to us right now, because the water that's above the rock, the surface water, all of that water's been contaminated. (laughs) I feel sad to say that. But it's true, the water on the surface of the earth has been contaminated. It's been contaminated by uh, human-made pollutants. And it's been made by, in other words, synthesized chemicals. It's been polluted by chemicals that are natural on the earth but aren't supposed to be concentrated together, like heavy metals. Heavy metals are natural to the earth, but it's humans who, who you know, refine that stuff out and, and get it into greater concentration. Um, it's contaminated by the nuclear accidents and by the intentional nuclear detonations um, from our nuclear weapons testing that happened in the early part of the 1900s. All the water on the surface of the Earth is contaminated by this stuff. But the water that's down in the aquifers is clean still. How important is that to know? The water that's down in the aquifers is clean still. Most of that water has been down there since before we even started polluting the Earth in any significant way. And the water that's recharging those aquifers, that's the water that's seeping down through the rock, is coming down in there. By the time it gets down there, it's very clean because it has to go through significant amounts of rock strata. Basically, the earth is like a massive water filter, and the water has to pass through layers and layers and layers of strata before it can get down into the aquifers. So the water that's down in our aquifers is the clean water that's left on the earth. That is the connoisseur-grade fine wine of water. When we get water out of a spring, when water bubbles up to the surface of the earth at a spring, that water is completely unpolluted. In fact, this is, I think, the most profound realization for me about all of this. When, if you were standing at a spring source and you put your hands in that water, that is the cleanest thing you've ever touched, and it's the cleanest thing you'll ever touch. So I want you to imagine if we went through the house 
or we went through a city, or we went through a building with a white glove, and we sort of touch everything, and then we go analyze that glove, we'll find trace amounts of all kinds of stuff. We'll find trace amounts of heavy metals, trace amounts of nuclear, uh, nuclear uh, radioactive particles. Uh, we'll find trace amounts of uh, pesticides, herbicides. Those things will show up. But when we're standing at a spring source, that water is coming up. It's uncontaminated. It's the only clean thing left. And you can build, just think about this, you can build 70% of your body off of that. Your body could be made of, 70% of your body could be made of the last clean thing left on earth. You could be made of that. So here we are, you know, going back to what Jade said, we've got zombies roaming the earth in hordes made of toxic, dirty, radioactive, pesticide-laden water. That's their blood. And, And here they are shambling about. Um, in a state of unconsciousness, texting while they drive. And, <laughs> and right. He, right? They're dangerous, actually. That's right. you got to add that. That's true. Yeah, That's they're dangerous. You've got to keep your head on a swivel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, <laughs> but, but here's this opportunity mm-hmm. to be made out of something truly, truly clean. So when I visit my local spring and I walk up with my big glass bottle, and I fill that up, what I'm doing is I'm collecting my future blood. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to make my blood out of. I want to be the last starfighter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. That's right. That's it. So, <clears throat> so when we turn on the tap and we get that water, we're saying, okay, I'm going to make my blood out of, out of this water that's potentially got toilet runoff in it. It's, it's, we know it's got chlorine. It's probably got fluoride. That could be your blood. Or we could go purchase our blood at the store for a higher price than we pay for gasoline, right? Uh-huh. And we could make our, water out of steril- or make our blood out of sterilized water that contains you know, petrochemicals that are, are, are xenoestrogens, and we can make our body out of that. Or we can visit our local spring every two weeks, bring home enough of this water to build our blood out of, and we can be that sort of last starfighter. We can be uh-huh. the, the, the ambassadors of the clean earth. I mean, that's, I that's that. why I choose spring water. So um, I think there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, it's, I find it to be the most hydrating water that I can find anywhere. Um, when I drink spring water, it feels like I'm pouring the water right into my cells. It's so hydrating. And when I drink a filtered water or a bottled water, I don't find it hydrating. I find it uh, leaves me thirsty. Makes me pee a lot, leaves me thirsty. Right. Makes, me wanna put, makes me want to put lemon in it. Makes me want to mm-hmm. figure out some way to make it more sour, more hydrating somehow, because it just doesn't quench. When I drink spring water, it quenches my thirst. And on more than just a physical level, on a really spiritual level, too. You say local spring, though. So does everybody have a local spring? And if that were the case as well... Why so many children in the developing world do not have access to this water as well? Are the aquifers limited? Yes. Wow, no one's ever asked me that, Jade. That's a really astute question. Um, one thing I want to point out, you know, so, so my work is based on this idea of rewilding, right? And I'm always talking about indigenous people okay. and, and hunter-gatherer people and how much healthier they were. I mean, the records are just really clear. These were really healthy people. One of the things that I've realized over the years is when you, when you start talking about indigenous people, a lot of people picture those TV commercials where, you know, some young, poor young child in the developing world with like a bloated belly and like, like flies on his mouth, right? Those commercials where they're asking you to give 30 cents a day, right? And we go, oh, geez, indigenous people, like, look at that. That's not what I want. Mm-hmm. And it's important to remember that 
what we're seeing in those pictures, those are indigenous peoples who've been pushed off of their lands mm. into the most uninhabitable badlands of the planet. That's basically what colonization did, right? So we go into a place, we, we kill off the best breeding individuals, we push those people into places that aren't really habitable, um, and then we, we send in, you know, UN aid, and we, we beg people to give them money, and we talk about how unfortunate they are, yeah. right? That's kind of what's really happened. That's that same dismantling so, that we were talking about with Whole Foods and other things, you know, yeah, <laughs> and trying to put it back together. It's the exactly, same. and it's not going to work, right? Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that those people haven't lived like that for countless generations. Of course not. They would be dead. They wouldn't be there. Those are the people who are left over. So the reality is when they had their culture intact, they lived in places that were habitable, that had clean water, that had springs, if that makes sense. I guess that's my point. Um, That aside, most of the United States is a really, really healthy environment, most of it, Um, or or very, I'm sorry, more, more, I should probably say more temperate environment, right? Most of the United States does have springs. Most of Canada has springs, right? Most of the European countries have really good springs. Um, we have access to really good water. Um, doesn't mean we're using it. Um, m- even, you know, I just, uh, we just put a, an article out in a newsletter at Surth Rival uh, two weeks ago about all these springs in New York City that are known about but are now underground because, you know, as cities grow, they build on top of themselves. And so most of the big cities have sort of underground areas where you can go to the old parts of the city. And there are all these springs in New York City, but they've just been built on top of. Sometimes, you know, they'd be a problem. Oh, the spring just keeps coming up in the basement of this building, so we filled it with cement. Mm. Now, these kind of things have happened. So the, 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 the green parts of the earth are covered in springs. They really are. But um, oftentimes in the cities, they get covered over. Um, but often when we leave the city and we just get outside of town, we can get access to these springs. So, um, so the first thing is, yeah, most of us have access to springs uh, unless we live in, you know, real extreme desert, and it can be difficult. And um, so, and I say that because places like, you know, Phoenix, Arizona, places like um, Las Vegas and Nevada, those are uh, uninhabitable places that are only made habitable through the wealth of our country and through the piping in of water from distant places. So those aren't places where people are really meant to live the way they are. So they may not have springs. And again, I want to say about, you know, the developing world, there's not a lot of clean water because people have been pushed into really uninhabitable places. So I think that's important to point out. But for most of us, yeah, we do have access to springs. I created a website designed just to help people do that. Um, That's a free website called findaspring.com. And essentially what that is 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 a Google map populated with springs um, that you can click on and get directions to. And we developed that website with the help of the listeners. So the people who are listening, let's say somebody's listening right now. Um, maybe they live in Minnesota, and they remember a spring that they used to go to with Grandma and Grandpa on Sundays when they were kids. And they would drive out there, and they'd fill up a bottle. If you know about that spring, you can go to findaspring.com, and you can submit that spring. You can put a picture there. You can put the coordinates. You can put information about the spring. You can name it, all that, and then it's on the map so that people who live in your area who are looking for a spring can click on that, find it, drive there, fill their bottles, bring that home, make their blood. So that's what that website's designed to do, and it's totally free. Um, and what our goal is is to, to collect as many of these springs together as we can so that people have access 
to um, these, you know, and down the road, what I'd like to do is make these Springs World Heritage Sites, because they really are. Right. It makes me really sad to imagine people covering a spring with concrete and putting a building on top of it. Yeah. I mean, what a bizarre twist of fate in a world where we know that water is going to become this truly sought-after resource. The idea that, because most of the springs I visit are in towns, and people in the town don't even usually care. Exactly, yeah. I've seen that very thing myself. Um, it's so funny you brought up New York. Somebody emailed me just yesterday asking, you know, like, I live in New York City. What am I going to do about these springs? Because she saw a video that I did. And, you know, for me, it was this book that changed my perspective. And then um, one of my early mentors, David Wolf, talking about these springs. But I'm just like, that's outside of my paradigm right now. And then the way that you frame things when I heard from you is just like, wait, wait a minute, I can do this. There is a, I can feel that there's water around me. And what proceeded to happen was I went to a class that my wife was actually teaching and there was there were people there and I just got into this conversation about water and I was talking about what I just heard about spring water and there's a girl who was in this group I was talking to we're just quite casually talking she's like I just came from a spring yesterday right <laughs> and the next day she brought me some of that water and check this out Daniel it's from Lithium Springs yeah Lithium Springs Missouri right so I do a little Googling, and I find out that people used to come from all over the world to come to this spring. Mm-hmm. And we travel down there, and I find it's just like, it's just overlooked in this little <laughs> secluded town. There's like a little gazebo over it that's just all broken down. And basically, the people that live in the town, they might let their kids go up to it and fill up their little bucket of water to play, but they don't understand the value of what's right there. Yeah, yeah. and so here, and so... So here's the challenge to the listener, you know, because I know how it is. I understand this. When you first hear this, it's like, what is this? This is outside my paradigm. I'm never going to do this. How could I ever do that? That's like, you know, it's like me telling you, like, you got to go to Zimbabwe to find some rare mineral hidden, you know, deep. And I mean, it just seems like outside of our paradigm. However, it's actually not that difficult. So I often recommend, so say you go to find a spring and there's not a spring in your area. What you want to start doing is just start asking people. Bring it up. Start the conversation. Be adventurous. Get off your ass. Right. Be adventurous. Start asking people, right? You might hear no, 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 no 50 times before someone says, you know what? I do know of a spring. I know where there's a spring. The best people to ask are older folks because they'll remember a time when these things were more sought after. There was a time in, in, the, in the early late 1800s, early 1900s, where there was this whole science called balneopathy, which was the study of bathing in and drinking spring water. And there was an under, people would travel all over the world to these different springs, like you just mentioned with the lithium springs there. Colorado Springs is a fantastic example of a, of a town it's actually Manitou, the town next to Colorado Springs, that has, you know, I think it's, I want to say it's 14 different springs there. People would travel from all over the world to go there. I go every year to a hot springs in Arizona. Uh, I won't disclose its location. It's kind of private. But, but people traveled from all over the world to go there. Um, there's a spring here in Maine. You know, we have the famous bottled water company here, Poland Springs. Uh, but just down the street is a spring called Summit Spring. And people traveled from all over the world. There was a hotel there. People would bathe in those waters and drink that water, and it was considered a cure for a lot of diseases. So this stuff existed, and it's fun to, to dig it back up. It's fun. It's almost like, it's like part geocaching adventure, part archaeology to, to find these things. 
And then what's so exciting, let's say you get into some adventure sport like geocaching. You know, you're trying to find something somebody stashed. You know, that's fun, but you don't get to make your body out of it. Right. Right? This is increase your... So the idea that you could, you could have an adventure and that at the end, it's almost like an Indiana Jones kind of thing. At the end, what you get is the fountain of youth. How exciting is that? That led Pons de Leon all over Florida trying to find, you know, from the old world, trying to find that fountain of youth. Right. So that's kind of your goal, your mission, is to find that fountain of youth for yourself. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, I've, I've visited wonderful springs outside of Los Angeles. I've visited great springs outside of Toronto. I've visited great springs outside of New York City. Um, and I could go on and on and on listing cities um, where I've been in the, the heart of some of the, the heaviest urban culture in the world, and then step, you know, 20 minutes out of the city and you can find a spring. Yeah. So those things exist all over the place. So, so very few of us have the excuse of, oh, that's just not realistic for me. And the other thing is this. You get yourself a few good five-gallon bottles or six-gallon bottles. You, you can go to the spring one time, fill up a few of those bottles, bring them home, and you've got water for a couple weeks. So it's the excuse of um, this is not really a feasible use of my time. Doesn't It's not, because think about how much time people spend filtering water and how much time people spend going and buying bottled water and how much money they spend. But you, you can get, you know, a month's worth of water in a couple of hours usually right. um, so that, you, you know, you put that water somewhere dark, somewhere cool. It stores really easily like that. You know, I always tell people store their water like wine, dark, cool, dry places. Right. And you can, you can store that water for a while and, um, and continue to build yourself out of it. Just even doing it every now and then, you can get like an epic oil change. Yeah, you know? so you said it, right? So it's like a transmission flush, right? So, so picture this. So imagine you're listening and you, you know, you're going, I don't know if I can do this, but you'd make this decision. So here would be your challenge. If this feels totally unrealistic, here's your challenge. In the next year, one time, Go somewhere in the world where you can fill a five-gallon container of water, bring it back wherever you are, and drink that over the course of a week, and it's like you've just changed your entire bloodstream out mm-hmm. with a whole new... It's like you did a big oil change or a big transmission flush. You've completely changed over your bloodstream to spring water. If you did that just once a year, um, I think the effects would be really, really beneficial. Absolutely. You know, one big flush. Spring I can see that. <laughs> so, you know, right here in Missouri, I mean, this was definitely a hub. I mean, there's so many towns that have these names, Weldon Springs, House Springs, Sulphur Springs, Springfield, you know. And now, you know, it's just one of those things that, and even in the city that I live in, Florissant, the city of flowers, you just drive through my neighborhood on at least every other person's property, you see that there was a well there. But now it's become like a flower pot. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> but it's just, you know, this stuff was it was it was just the way things were. And now it's like, you know, kind of um, moving forward by paying attention to the past a little bit and really appreciate that. Now, I've got a really great question for you. People always throw out at me. You know, they're still like, we got to talk about this one. They still are like, well, what about alkaline water? Isn't that better? So talk, <laughs> yeah. talk a little bit. What's up with this alkaline water? Yeah, wow, I hear that one a lot too. Um, well, you know, the thing about alkaline water is, you know, or you know, here's the concept: in order to believe in, in that alkaline water is good for you, you've kind of got to believe in the underlying paradigm of that, which is this acid alkaline paradigm of health. So there are people out there whose uh, belief about health is that the reason 
that everyone is so sick and unhealthy in our modern world is because their bodies have become too acidic and we need to become more alkaline. And so that's called the acid-alkaline paradigm of disease or, um, you know, theory of disease. Um, I don't really subscribe to that concept, although I understand that there is some value in some of that thinking. Well, it, it's a really gross simplification of, uh, uh, of health and nutrition. So it's actually unfortunately simple. And, and I think that we, we like stuff like that, right? It's, it's nice to have just some easy rule. Like it would be great if it was just, you know, don't eat carbs, only eat, you know, high protein, high fat. That'd be great, but there's these certain places where you go, you know what, that's, that's too rigid. Or if it was, you know, never eat any fats, only eat carbohydrates and protein, yeah, that'd be nice, but it's just it's too, it's too gross of a simplification. Um, other examples, only eat raw food, only eat macrobiotic food, only eat fruit. There's all these different things out there. They're, they're just too simple. It's not, people are attracted to that. That's how cults get started. Right. So there's this cult of acid alkaline. Um, unfortunately, what people don't realize is that, one, different parts of your body have different pHs. So your colon is supposed to be acidic, right? Your small intestine is supposed to be alkaline. Your stomach is supposed to be acidic. Your lungs are supposed to be acidic. Your blood is supposed to be slightly alkaline. So this idea that everything should be alkaline is just actually not true. Um, second is that you can overdo that, right? You can really overdo it. Um, third is that people think in that paradigm that your food and your water is how your body regulates its pH. And the reality is, and what, what people in the medical field know, is that your body's pH is regulated by breathing. That's actually how we regulate our blood pH. So um, if we hyperventilate, we blow off all our carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide, when dissolved in blood, is an acid. So if we hyperventilate, we become really alkaline and we pass out. Um, that's what happens. So you all know how that feels. You hyperventilate, hyperventilate, hyperventilate. What happens is you blow off all your carbonic acid. Your body becomes really alkaline. You feel dizzy. You pass out. Uh, if you hold your breath, what happens is the carbonic acid builds up, and you get too acidic, and you pass out. <laughs> so we, we can't go too far in either direction. Well, the, in Japan, a uh, machine was invented that breaks water down um, through an electrolysis process, and you can end up with really alkaline water and a really acidic water. And these machines um, usually discard the acidic water they create, and they keep the really alkaline water. So you can set it to different pHs, and you end up with water that's extremely alkaline. And the idea is if you drink that, um, that that will, you know, cure all. It's a, it's a panacea. Um, the reality is it's just too alkaline, right? And nature doesn't present water like that. In fact, the whole pH scale is based on water because water is neutral. So natural water, water is around a pH of 7. So if we start to increase the pH into alkalinity, getting up into waters that are 9, 10, this is actually something that nature's never really seen before. We're not adapted to that. Now, here's the thing. There may be some benefit in certain disease states to drinking alkaline water. So, for instance, certain cancers, there may be benefits to drinking that alkaline water. The problem is, is that even if there are, that doesn't mean that everybody should be doing it. But, unfortunately, the people who sell those, those machines tend to want to get everybody to buy them. Right. And so the idea is that, oh, everybody needs this. And what you end up with is that as that filters down, you've got the person on the street who just all they've heard is 
alkaline water is better, you should drink alkaline water, and they repeat that and repeat that and repeat that, because humans are kind of like repeating machines, right? We just repeat what we hear. Um, and so you end up with this belief that there's something about alkaline water that we need. Reality is when you visit natural springs around the planet, they typically are pretty neutral, or they're even often a little bit acidic. Yeah. And I'll point this out to people, too. I mean, you get low-quality water, and it's not hydrating you. What do you want to add to it? You want to add acids to it, right? Yeah. You, add, you add a little bit of lemon to it, a little bit of orange. You know, you drink something sour like a kombucha, you feel really hydrated. And the thing about alkaline water is it doesn't really hydrate you. So, you know, eventually, I've never met anybody who's drank alkaline water really long-term. Most of the people I know who've invested a couple thousand dollars in one of those machines eventually tell me, wow, this water doesn't hydrate me. I wish I didn't buy this machine. So, um, And it's taken that same concept of supplementation to your water. You know, it's like making that water, exposing it to the electrolysis and creating a, a man-made supplement, yeah. basically. Exactly. An alkaline Processed supplement. And, and I think the real, the real fundamental underlying thing is this. I think that it makes a lot of sense for us to, you know, we, we're lost right now. There was a time when we weren't. That was, we started getting lost about 10,000 years ago when we left the, the, our natural way of living on the planet. We moved into this domesticated agricultural way of life. Um, when we did that, our bodies started to... We see this in our fossil record. When we, we left our natural way of living and became farmers, we see that our bones shrank, our skulls shrank, our brain, brains shrank. Our, our body started to develop arthritis. This is in our fossil record. We can see it started 10,000 years ago. Um, our last known point was when we lived in harmony with nature. The only thing that builds health is harmony with nature. That's it. That's it. That's what works. The idea that we're going to make some machine that's going to do some unnatural thing and that's going to make us healthy is what keeps getting us deeper and deeper into the problem. We keep trying to use technology to fix problems that, that the, the, it was technology that created the problem in the first place. So, so I love to picture you know, the movie Fantasia. I love the story where Mickey Mouse gets Merlin's hat and he starts playing with magic he doesn't know how to wield. That's like people playing with technology. We don't really know how to wield it well. So it's like magic, and we, we create a problem. So Mickey creates a problem, and then he doesn't know how to fix it, so he tries to use the magic to create a fix to it, and that fix creates a bigger problem. And the more he does this, the more it compounds until he's creating total chaos. And no amount of magic fixes the problem from the magic that he created. That's like us. We've, we started playing with technology, and it got out of control, and we keep trying to use technology to get it back under control, and every time we employ a new technology, it gets worse. That's the best analogy ever. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you guys get it. so good. Yes. Well, Daniel, I, I mean, just mind-blown right now, expanded. Jade is up. I've never seen her up walking around during the interview before, but she's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> she's contemplating over here, and... Um, <laughs> I always like to ask my guests, and I think you just really, really touched on it already, is that, you know, what model or what example do you want to set for, for people? You know, wow, that's a really deep question. Um, I mean, I certainly don't feel like I'm a model for anyone, but I feel like the, the concept, I, I guess the model for me is the, the hunter-gatherer, is the model. The thing is, is that we are, we're so technological now, so we've got to figure out a way to merge all the wonderful things that have come out of 
technology that have come out of our, our modern way of life, and we've got to merge it with that hunter-gatherer. So there's no model that exists now, but my friend and I have coined this term. You know, we talk about ourselves as homo sapiens, and I often joke, you know, we're not homo sapiens anymore. We're, we're a new breed called homo sapiens domestico fragilis. <laughs> I love that. And that's, I that's love our, that word. <laughs> that, that's our subspecies. We're, we, you know, the, the hunter-gatherer is a homo sapien. We're, we're the domesticated weak form called homo sapiens domestico fragilis. And we have this idea that if we, if we merge everything we've learned with the old way, we can come out something new, and we call that homo sapien neo-aboriginalis, the new aboriginal. And that's the model for me. That's what inspires me, this idea that we can become strong, robust, and healthy again, and that maybe if we get the guidance from Merlin, Mickey can learn how to use that hat properly. Right. right? That's, that's where I want to go. So that's the model for me. I love it, man. I appreciate it. You are my model word maker, too. <laughs> I am entering a new realm of three, four, five-level word-making now. <laughs> Every episode, Jay makes up a, a word. But all right, Daniel, you know, man, just thank you so much for your, for your wisdom. Yes. And um, for everybody who's now got a chance to see what you're all about and, and what they can learn from you, where, where can they go to get more information? All right, well, they can find me at, um, you know, obviously at my website, which is danielvitalis.com. And from there, they can click through to findaspring.com. That's the website I was talking about. And they can also get to my supplement line, which is at surthrival.com. So that's um, for Jada. You know, this is one's going out to you. Yes, that's baby. The, mi- the mix of the word survival and thrive, right? So this that, idea of, yes. of survival. Um, so that's, you know, my, my product line, um, and you can find that there. And I do want to mention that we created a coupon code for your listeners. So anything they order there, they can get 10% off by using the code uh, MODELHEALTH, all caps. Um, awesome. So those are all products that help basically rewild your body. You know, those are all things that help to restore your endocrine function, restore your immune function, um, help to get us back on track. Nice. Um, you can find my videos on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter uh, at Daniel Vitalis, or sorry, at D Vitalis, and you can find me on Facebook. So I'm, you know, in all those places where everybody's hanging out. Awesome. Well, Daniel, we've got to have you back on to talk about your your product line and because you've got some really, I mean, just out of this world stuff. Um, if, if you'd be into that, we'd definitely love to have you back oh, on. I'd man. love to. You guys are great fun. <laughs> you too, Daniel. Thanks. Well, so everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show. I know that you got a lot of value out of this. And please make sure, share this. Yes. Sharing is caring. Get yes, this Get is. this out to the people that you care about so that we can really start to rewild ourselves. And sir, thrive. And sir, thrive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Take care. And make sure for more after the show, you head over to theshawnstevensonmodel.com. That's where you can find the show notes. And if you got any questions or comments, make sure to let me know. And please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and let everybody know that our show is awesome and you're loving it. And I read all the comments, so please leave me a comment there. And take care, everybody. promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help transform your life. 